This is David Tarkington, pastor of First Baptist Church of Orange Park. Thank you for downloading this sermon. For more information about our church and any questions you may have, go to firstfam.org. Remain standing if you would. What a terrific, terrific song set. Thank you guys so much. Let's remain standing. I want us to do this. I didn't get a chance to lead music today, so I'm kind of going to direct you here. Let's put scripture up on the screen. Let's give this a shot. Let's, uh, let's read this together, okay? Can we do that? Let's, you know, we're going to read it kind of moderately, you know, not too fast, not too slow. You got it? Three, two, one. Therefore, since we are surrounded, keep going. So, so closely, let us run with endurance step before us, looking to Jesus, the cross, very good, this is the word of the Lord, yeah, Father God, today we come before you, as this song says, we lift our eyes to you, we bow before you. Jesus, you are our King. Today, as we study about the Scriptures telling us we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, may we also embrace this truth. We are surrounded by the author and perfecter and source and the finisher of our faith. Surround us today with your presence in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, when Pastor David mentioned this passage of Scripture to me several weeks ago, I, it didn't take me long. I realized why he wanted me to do this Scripture. Because you as a congregation, this is really a Scripture that you know, deals a little bit with athletics and, and with racing and with running. And probably you as a congregation, if you are thinking of our three pastors. Why, why are we laughing already? That, that's not a good start, by the way. Uh, you would think of me as the most athletic of the pastors. This is not going well already. Let me tell, uh, tell you, uh, Mike, um, where are you at, Mike? Hey, yeah. Uh, how many races, uh, you know, running races have you run in your life? Now, be truthful, all right? With, with a stopwatch, you know, with a coach, somebody timing you through the years, just approximate. I, I need a number. Hundreds, all right, wait, y'all, can you, you do math good? Keep, can we say a hundred? Okay, yeah, I've already lost this one. Uh, but I'll tell you what, just because misery loves company, let's add the amount of races that David has run throughout his life. Hey, zero! Ladies and gentlemen, it's like my uh, football team the last couple of weeks. I've come in second. Because I got David beat. I've run one. Again, that's not funny, y'all. Come on. And, and there's, there's a great story behind this. It, it was 1986. I just graduated from high school. So thank you those in the room who are thinking, 86. He's no way. Shelvin doesn't look near that old. Yeah, nobody's saying that. Uh, we, we were going to youth camp. I just graduated high school, so it was my final uh, youth event. I was going into adulthood, so I, I was going to live it up at youth camp, Ridgecrest, North Carolina. Anybody ever been to Ridgecrest? Yeah, it was, uh, it was called Centrifuge Youth Camp, 
And uh, they, they did what is called a missions run at the end of the week. So a couple of buddies of mine, we thought it'd be a good idea. It was basically, and I'm okay with this, I don't have a problem with it. It was really a bait and switch to get us to, you know, not spend all of our money on ice cream that week, but to, you know, donate it toward, you know, missions. So $10 and we got to run a race. I, I don't know if there was a prize at the end because you'll find out why in just a second. Uh, but we decided we were going to do it. So we got up that next morning and here we are at the starting line, me and my buddies and we're going to run. We're excited about it. And uh, our minister of music at the time, whose name was David, I've never been able to escape David, by the way. Can I just can I take a side street here a second? David Gross was his name. He was minister of music uh, when I was growing up. Then I moved to Louisiana, and our pastor's name was David. Yeah, very good. Go to Alabama after graduating New Orleans Seminary, and one of my best friends, a, a co-worker in ministry, he'd be my fill-in when I couldn't be there, his name was David. I come back to Jackson, Malaria, Orange Park, and I serve with a guy named, yeah, see, if I had, had David's all my life, let me tell you. But uh, unlike David, who has run zero races, I've run one, so I got him beat there. Uh, David Gross was a runner. He, he flew to Boston uh, for the marathon. He does the Great River Run. So he was, he was a runner. Um, today's the New York ra- Marathon, isn't it? Did I read that somewhere? Yeah, I got to hurry because I got to catch my flight so I can go up there and run. Um, so David Gross was there and he looked at, uh, at me and my two friends and I guess we had that look, you know, on our face. And he said, hey guys, y'all ever run before? What do you think the three of us said? Yeah, we've run before. We were part of the, you know, the winless church softball team. So, you know, we, we've run. Uh, we played pickup basketball. We've run before. So, yeah, we've got this. And uh, he said, well, guys, uh, you know, that straight ahead, and he pointed to it, and it was a, a hill because we're in North Carolina, uh, and it kind of looked like Mount Everest uh, to me at the moment. He, he said, I, you know, that's kind of steep. And he said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take it pretty slow here at the beginning. And, I, and David was probably 50 years old at the time. And we're like, that's great, wonderful. And we're thinking in the back of our mind, fine, 50-year-old, you run it slow. We're going to, you know, do our own thing. Start of the race happens. And much to my surprise, I'm among the leaders for about eight seconds because you see I didn't want to be outdone by my buddy so I started in fourth gear and uh, you know they didn't want to be outdone by me either so they started in fourth gear and and suddenly there was a whole bunch of teenage boys that you know we're we're giving it all we've got uh, at the beginning and we're getting to Mount Everest and a funny thing happened after about eight seconds all these guys that I was running with they started running faster than I did. And then about 30 seconds later, you know, David, the 50-year-old that said he was going to start what? Slow. He passed me like I was standing still because I probably was standing still at that moment. And, and I gave it just a little bit longer and I uh, decided to just turn around, go back to the room, take a shower and go to the cafeteria and I ate about four bowls of Captain Crunch. Yes, I quit the race at that moment. And that's my one race story. That's still better than David's though, right? Am I correct? Somebody give me an amen there. 
Now, before anybody comes up to me after church and says, Sheldon, that's been a long time. I, I hope you're over that. I hope it doesn't haunt you at night. Folks, it really doesn't. I, I, I don't really ever think about that day except when David asked me to bring this message. Uh, my Olympic dream of running cross-country did not die that day on Mount Everest in Ridgecrest, North Carolina. Uh, it's because I never had that dream. You got you to gotta have the dream for it to die. But I, I thought about that as I was getting ready to uh, prepare this message. And here's four things about that wonderful day of my running career. Uh, one, I didn't start smart. Second, I didn't listen. Three, I really didn't know what I was doing. And four, I, I decided not to finish. And I think if we look at this passage that we're going to dive into, we can see how those four points maybe relate, and I can, can pull some truths there. Uh, let me take just a sidestep for a moment, because this scripture, you could go so many different ways. And I was telling David just uh, before we came in together this morning, uh, thank you for a passage that is honestly so easy to preach on, and, and one that, that gets me excited. It's, it's one that should fire us up. It's an encouragement. It, it's a great passage, but there, there's something here that I don't want us to miss before I get back to my four points here. This passage also reminds us that time is getting away from us. One of the biggest overused phrases we have out there is, oh, there'll be another time, uh, or you'll get it next time. There'll be a second chance, another day. Uh, folks, a lot of times there's not. A lot of times the moment passes us by, and this passage in Hebrews talks about a race. One race, one chance, one journey. It's kind of like James 4.14 where it says this, Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. This verse is a stark reminder of the fleeting nature of our existence. It underscores the urgency of running, of the race we are running, and live the lives that are pleasing to God. We've just finished chapter 11 and, and John and, and Mike and David did such a tremendous job with, with one of the most encouraging passages in all the Bible. I love to go to Hebrews 11 uh, when it's just not a great day and, and I need some encouragement. Go back and I, and, I, and I read that. It's about having confidence and a hope in the promised word of God that is revealed to us. It's taking God at his word, knowing that he is too faithful to fail and he will never go back on his promise. Chapter 11 sets up 12 so perfectly. Let's look at the four points. One, we got to start smart. The very beginning of that verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, uh, the author pictures these previous champions of the faith. And, you know, at first glance, uh, they almost look like spectators from heaven cheering us on uh, as we try and overcome discouragement uh, in, in this journey that we have. However, these are witnesses that are not witnessing the conduct of our lives. They are witnesses to us of faith and endurance and all that they have lived and experienced. Uh, songwriter John Moore penned this lyric back in 1988. It became one of the biggest songs uh, recorded for Steve Green, a recording artist. 
we're pilgrims on the journey of the narrow road. And, and those who have gone before us line the way, cheering on the faithful, encouraging the, the weary, their lives are a stirring testament to God's sustaining grace. Surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let's run the race not only for the prize, but as those who have gone before us, let us leave to those behind us, great line right here, the heritage of faithfulness passed on through godly lives. You know, I love a good start. I, I loved my start to my one race back in North Carolina, back in 1986. I loved it for about eight seconds, and then it fell apart. I, I love the start of, of sporting events. I, I love the pageantry. Back in the day, we were, we were tailgaters, or we would go to you know, one of the restaurants in the area. We, we loved to get there early. I love to see the teams warm up. When, we, uh, uh, when Pam and I went to the national championship game, it seems so far ago, 2009 down in Miami, we got there about five hours before the game because I just wanted to soak it all up. And believe me, if I'd have known that the once great Gator Nation was going to go through the next 14 years that we've gone through, we'd have gotten there five days ahead of time instead of five hours to enjoy those moments. We, we were there when the bus arrived. We, we were one of the first in the gate. We were just walking around the parking lot. You can even, on some of the, the national TV stuff for that night, you could see Pam in the background of a, of a TV shot for about two seconds. We were there when all that happened because I, I love the starts. I love to be able to see that and to soak that all in. Uh, as a NASCAR fan, there's like two of us in the building who are NASCAR fans, and there's probably just only two of us that know there's a race today and they're going to crown a champion. There's, a, there's an old phrase that they use that says, you can't win a race on the first lap, but you sure can lose a race on the first lap. Hope that doesn't happen to my guy today when he raced. Folks, we must start smart. We must start with a surrendered heart. And there's not a better way to start life than surrendering our life and our heart to God. Uh, we are, uh, the great cloud of witnesses was introduced to us in Hebrews 11. They're heroes of the faith. They are not sitting there watching us, but they are bearing witness to us as to what God can do. Hebrews 11, 2 uh, verses 4 and 5 and 39, all of those things refer to what I'm just saying. Romans 15, 4, I think we're going to put this up on the screen. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. We see words like patience, endurance, yay for those. How about these? Comfort, encouragement. Let me sign up for that one. One of the best ways to develop endurance and encouragement is to read the stories from the Old Testament. Uh, several of you know that a, a few weeks ago I got to fly up to Pennsylvania to, to, to see family, but also to go to the Sight and Sounds Theater. And I got to see the, uh, they do all these dramatic, these biblical um, productions up there, and Moses was being done. And I had to go, because I've been dying to see that on stage. And it's just incredible to watch the story portrayed right there. If you're having problems in your family, read about the life of Joseph. If your job's too big for you, read and study the life of Moses. If you're tempted to retaliate, see how David handled the problem. All of these things in the Old Testament. Hebrews 4.16 says this, 
let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Uh, Paul reminded the church at Galatia this, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, the Son of God who loved and gave himself for me. Folks, we've got to start smart. And the only way to start smart is to be crucified with Christ, surrendered to him. Second thing is this. Uh, we've got to listen. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Uh, another version of that says it entangled. I've got to give my, my minister of music some credit there. He, he said, hey, you see that? And he pointed to the hill there. That was a clue that that's going to bog you down. That could entangle you because he saw right through us and knew that we had zero experience running. Hey, guys, here's the sin. Get, don't let that sin happen. If we don't listen and heed the word of the Lord, we will become entangled. And if we don't get out of that entanglement, eventually we're going to be out. I did a couple of smart things yesterday. And I did a couple of not-so-smart things. One of the smartest things I did yesterday was, that, as many of you know, being a gator and I've married a Razorback, there was no way that the two of us were going to stay in the same building or the same hole watching that game. So my first smart thing was to go watch it with my mother. And thankfully, uh, her and I together in our frustration did not destroy her TV I don't think she did after I left. I guess I'll have to ask her later. But one of the, um, well, not so smart things I did this past weekend was I, I did a garage sale. Yeah. I should have listened to the advice of one of my favorite neighbors who the day before came by and said, I'll give you a, a certain amount of money and I'll haul, up, haul it all off for you. And I just very smartly said, no way, no how. I'm going to make, you know, 10 times as much as what you are offering. He, he nailed the amount, by the way. He said $30, and I made $30. That's not funny either, so please don't laugh at that. But when I was getting all the stuff out of the garage, uh, we had several things that, that required electricity. And even though I look like a really honest guy, I, I'm smart enough to know that customers at a garage sale, they want to see what? That the thing that plugs in actually works, yeah. They want to know that I'm not pulling a fast one on them. I wasn't the two things that I was going to sell that I ended up not selling yesterday that are back in my garage because I couldn't sell them and I didn't listen to my neighbor, but that's another point. Uh, so I had, to, uh, I had to find the long extension cord, and I had not used that long extension cord in forever, so I finally found it early Saturday morning, and it was, it was a you know, bright orange long uh, extension cord I've had for years. It was a wadded up mess. And so I'm sitting there, I'm trying to untangle this tangled mess. And as I'm doing it, I realize something about it. This thing isn't any good because there were several cracks in it or whatever you, what, what do you call that in an extension cord? I was, again, remember I said I had more smart moments yesterday than not so smart. One of the smart moments was when I saw that it was kind of a part. You know, don't plug it in. You know, I, I am smart enough to do that. Uh, so... You know what's going to have to happen to that extension cord on Friday when the garbage comes in my neighborhood? 
It's out. I got, I got to throw it out. It, it became so entangled that it has to be thrown out. Folks, we can get entangled in sin that it eliminates us and, and it makes us ineffective in the Christian life. Any deviation from the course that God has set before us is sin. It may be something we think, something we say, something we do that is contrary to God's will. Or it could just be as easy as a failure to think or do what is in line of the will of God or the Scripture. What are the weights in your life? The, the Scripture says everything that entangles us. Uh, while there's not you know, necessarily a specific sin, I, I think it is talking about the sin of unbelief here. We must listen to the Word of God. People who tell us to act and walk justly by faith. The word faith is in the book of Hebrews 21 times. Folks, who do you listen to? Who are the people in your life that pour things into you that are godly? The third thing is this. Know what you're doing. Let's continue with this scripture. Let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race that is set before us. Now, back to that day in, in Ridgecrest, he, and when, when David said, you guys ever run before? He's pretty much saying, do you guys even know what you're doing? And, and we said, yeah. And the answer should have been, no, because we didn't know and we didn't understand that two miles was really an endurance, especially for us. Every race has an endurance factor. 1 Corinthians 9 24 and 25. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, run, but one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. That probably would have been helpful before that day in Ridgecrest. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. All right, we got it. We got to run the race with endurance. Oh, but there's more. James 1.3, be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith brings out endurance, steadfast, steadfastness, and patience. Now, wait a minute. I thought all we needed to do was to know that we were to run with endurance. Well, we must do it as well. The James passage implies that it's going to be on-the-job training almost. Uh, that means we've got to prove it. Ha have you ever had anybody say to you, yeah, prove it? Or have you ever said that to anybody? What does that mean? Audience participation part of the program. <laughs> what? This looks like a smart section. What does prove it mean? Show me. Yeah, hang tight. It probably wouldn't have been a real nice thing to do through the years but I thought about this. When we um, have you know, decisions being made after a service, you know, through the years, if, if we would have said this, if people coming up to us as pastors and, and leaders and they, people coming up, boy, I, I've backslidden. I, I've been away from God, I, I, but I'm coming back. Back in my day, we called it rededication, recommitment. It's really repentance. That's what it is. And you come and you take the pastor by the hand. Uh, pastor, I'm serious this time. I, I'm going to get my life right with God. 
it wouldn't have been a nice thing, but what if a pastor would have just come out and said, yeah, prove it. Now, we're, we're not going to do that, I don't think, at the end of the service, but folks, we, we know we got to run the race with endurance. And really, we do have to prove that. And look, that is not a work salvation. That is not a, hey, you got you to pass this test. But y'all, there are going to be tests in our life. There's going to be trials. That, that's how you prove that you mean what you say and, and that you actually do that. We have to run with endurance. The fourth point is this, and this is where I'll camp here for a minute. Make sure you finish. Looking to Jesus, the founder, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We also see the words um, source and finisher here. Remember how I said I, I love the start of sporting events? I'm that guy, give me the pageantry, get there early, watch them warm up, all that kind of stuff. Oh, but there ain't nothing like a great finish. How many of you from my generation remember watching the, the NFL on CBS or for me back in the day, NBC, because they had the Dolphins on every Sunday at 1 o'clock. They won back then about as much as my college team wins now. Uh, but they would have this little segment. Do you remember fantastic finishes? Anybody remember that? Somebody sponsored it. I don't know if it was State Farm or, or Allstate or something. And they would show like a... A 30-second clip, you know, the Dolphins in 1972 clinging to a whatever, 7 nothing lead, all of a sudden get another touchdown, and they win Super Bowl, whatever that was, before I was too young to even remember that. A fantastic finish. I love great finishes. Well, I love them when they're <laughs> good for me, <laughs> and it's my team that wins, or it's my kid that's the hero of the game. Uh, if 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 it's my group that I'm cheering for, is the hero of the story. You know, back in the, uh, the pandemic, you remember that? Where we had to stay home, all that kind of stuff, well, that, those fun days. Um, my daughter and I, we would go walk and we would see the sunset. Uh, it wasn't too far from our home. It was probably less than 10-mile walk uh, for us to start 10-mile. 10-minute, is that it? <laughs> Told y'all I was a runner. Told y'all I needed to get on that flight and go up to New York and run the New York Marathon. What's a marathon? <laughs> Two miles, that was it. Uh, we would take our, our walks down there because uh, if you know my daughter, we, we were desperate to get her out of the house and doing something. She was bouncing off the wall. So we would go and see the sunset. And some of y'all would remark about them on Facebook. But, but here was the thing. I would only post the good ones. There were plenty of sunsets on that dock over, over uh, Doctor's Lake that, that weren't good. You know, some of the sunsets were, were beautiful. Some were yuck. Some we, we could predict were going to be good. Sometimes we were surprised. Sometimes we would get there and, and honestly miss the moment. We would look at it and it would be like, eh, we'll see it again tomorrow. Sometimes we didn't wait long enough. But we would see those sunsets. And here's something I, that I come, came to realize. We, we didn't get to choose the sunset. And, and folks, we don't get to choose the sunsets in our life. 
And that's a hard thing to, <laughs> to get, your, get our arms around sometimes. God is the one that chooses the sunsets for us. The author of Hebrews clearly reminds us that God chooses the ending. But here's the thing. How many times do we want to choose that? I've got, I've got some good... I had a better ending to the game yesterday than the one that happened. I've got some, I've got some good endings. But God is the one that chooses the endings. It was our Lord's faith that enabled him to endure. We see it in Psalm 16. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. Uh, David speaks about the fullness of joy and I'm, I'm going to skip a couple of things here, guys. Uh, in Acts 2, 34 through 36, Jesus knew that he would be exalted one day in glory. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies, your footstool, the, the latter part of that verse. And his joy in presenting believers to the Father in glory. You know, thinking back at this verse number two, says the author and the finisher, or perfecter of our faith. And, and I got to tell you, I think one of the key words that often we, we gloss over is that little word called our the author and finisher of our faith. It's a reminder to all of us that there is more to our race than just ourselves. You, we, all people, we, we have people counting on us to finish and to finish it well. We, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we need you to finish and to finish it well. Now I know, um, be careful, Shelvin, don't guilt anybody into anything. That's another phrase that I think uh, we, we use wrongly. We, we don't have the ability to guilt anybody into anything. Well, I got guilted into serving here. I got guilted into that. If, if you feel guilty about it, then I won't finish that sentence because that doesn't sound real nice. We, we can't guilt anybody into that. Can I take just a side road here a second? Um, I'm asked time to time, and Mike is, and, and David as well, and other pastors, what's the toughest part of ministry? And, and I think there's a definite two or three uh, in my life. Uh, one is just the, the flat-out rejection of the gospel. Have you ever had somebody do that, even say that they hate God and, and that they would never believe in it and, that, and they would rather go to hell and, and they would never come around? Those are sad, sad things. And, and look, I'm not, not trying to make any political statement here, so don't read it that way. Anytime we hear of death, even when it results in justice, are enemies of war getting what they deserve? For the child of God, there is no option other than the first thing that goes through our brain it is weeping and sorrow if they do not know Christ because they are condemned to hell. Folks, let that sink in. And the next time, let, let's stop ourselves before we rejoice over that. And let's think, is that person in eternity without Christ or not? You know, I think uh, the second hardest thing of ministry, and I, I got to tell you, this has is, this is developed, honestly, over the last 10 years. 
uh, over our journey here in this congregation, and David and I have had this conversation a lot, it, it's walking with the flock during times of grieving and, and funerals. It, it doesn't get any easier. You know, they're dependent on us, right, David and Mike and others? We stand right here and we see a three or four pews of family, and, and they're having the worst moment of their life. And they're kind of dependent on us to give them the words of life or give them something to help them get to that next moment. And, and i got to tell you, for me, it doesn't matter if I know the person that's in that casket well or just barely. Death is death. Someone is gone, and people in our congregation and our friend group are going through a hard time. And that's heavy as pastors, and it should be. And when it stops being heavy, we need to stop being pastors because we have failed to be a pastor at that moment. There's a third thing here, and I don't want to rush through it, but I see this clock. I'll cover that up. The third hard thing for me is seeing people not finish, not finish the journey. We were given some good but honestly sad information, weren't we, at this conference this week with Trevin Wax. said only 35% of Christians see church as uh, going to church as essential for the Christian life. Now, honestly, this, this is terrific. I'm looking around the room. We've, we've beat that 35% of capacity today, which is terrific. There are days we haven't, and I know you're quickly going to say, well, Shelvin, are you associating church attendance to quitting the journey? Yes. I unapologetically say yes, because I think it leads to that. If the person is not already there to quit the journey, I think they're heading down that road, and it's a dangerous road. Uh, the song continues that, that John Moore wrote. I think we're going to put some of the, the, the lyrics up here. I can barely read that. I used to read that good back in the day. After all our hopes and dreams have come and gone, our children sift through all we've left behind. May the clues that they discover, the memories they uncover, become a light that leads them to the road we each must find. Go to the next slide. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our dev devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe and the lives we live inspire them to obey. I told David earlier and said to you, what a great passage this is to speak on. But I, but I want to fire a fastball here as, as we end. Thinking back, uh, Wayne, if you can back it up one slide. Think, uh, think about that, the beginning of that verse right there. After all our hopes and dreams have come and gone. You know, I, I could probably go, this might surprise some of you, I think I could probably go toe-to-toe -to -toe with anybody in this room uh, reflecting on things and days gone by. I love a good chat and a good stroll down memory lane. I, I'm, I'm grateful that God has given those things to me and, uh, and I've been able to keep those. I, I've got a, uh, this isn't a brag, please don't hear it that way. I've got a tremendous past uh, with some great people who have done what the song has said, and I am, I am thankful for that. 
But folks, I don't think John Moore meant this second verse as speaking as a dead person. Or it would have said, um, after we have breathed our last and we have died. That's why I'm not a songwriter, folks. I just, <laughs> you could say, yeah, we know. I, this is spoken as someone coming to the finish line. And, and don't, don't say, hey, he's just speaking to the, his age and above here. We're all coming to the finish line. We, we don't know when that finish line is going to be. Some of us, it's, as David has said before, we got more log behind us than in front of us. But we're all coming to the finish line. Uh, that next line, children sift through all we've left behind. May the clues they discover, memories they uncover. Look, are, are we going to be a people of God that are going to sit around and bemoan Things that, that have already happened and have come and gone. Again, let's get real personal here a second. You got things that have come and gone? You know what, what does gone mean? Yeah, somebody else divide it, right? It's gone. And, and gone often means never coming back again. Folks, I got things that I'd like to come back again. Got people I want to come back again. You do too. We've all got things in our past that we want to come back again. And I, we could sit here and we can bemoan that forever. I understand that. Some of you are going through, still going through a hard time dealing with loss in your life. And I don't mean that to gloss over it. We can be that way or we can go with that next line. May the clues they discover, the memories they uncover, become a light that leads them to the road we each must find. We can let that be the thing that drives us more than the fact that things have come and gone. Let me find my spot because I lost it. Clues discovered about our lives that we have led becomes a light that leads others to believe and inspires people of God to stay in the race, to stay strong, and to obey. There are people in this room that are that close to quitting before you get to the finish. Steve Green said this about that song. It's a prayer of mine to finish the race, to pass the baton of faith to the next generation. And he goes on to say, I thought for years that it meant my faithfulness was my zeal, my strength, me tightening my belt one more notch to say, here, I'm going to be faithful, like a rededication, right? Sure, all of those things are a part of it, but he says this, it's not our faithfulness, it is the faithful one that empowers us. We won't approach the throne of God one day trying to impress him with our faithfulness. Find us faithful, yes, but Lord, do it through me for your glory. So, child of God, what, what is it going to be? The, the chorus of that says, Oh, may all who come behind us. That, that, that word, oh, is there not only as a musical expression, but it is a, a lyric expression. It is a, an expression of desperation. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. Uh, the secret of persistence is in the phrase at the end of the verse, fixing our eyes to Jesus. Uh, yes, look at the men and women of the faith that are mentioned in, in chapter 11. But then look to Jesus because he's the author and he's the finisher of our faith. He can begin it, he can end it, he will complete it. He is also the perfecter 
of our faith. There is more than example in this phrase. There is empowerment. We are able to fix our eyes on Jesus because he can do what others cannot. They can inspire us. Chapter 11 inspires us. It inspires me. Chapter 12 shows us that Jesus empowers us. Moment by moment, day by day, week by week, year by year, if we learn to look to him, we find the strength imparted to us because he indwells us. And folks, that is the secret. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Yes. More than that, we are surrounded by the author, completer, perfecter, and finisher of our faith. So let us run with endurance the race, looking to Jesus. I'm looking for my iPad because it's got my closing. I might ask the band to come up at this time and, um, and get ready for our closing here. And folks, let me pour into you just a moment before I read this. 25 years as your worship pastor. I know the clock. I just saw the clock. I see it right here too. Don't check out. Hang tight. Don't get distracted. They're just a band getting ready to lead another song. You know that. You've been there. Hone in here for just a moment. Let's take Let's take those four points in reverse order before we close. Are you trying to choose your sunset? Are you going to let God finish the race for you or not? Is reason enough for finishing simply because Jesus has called us to do this as his children? Second, do you you know what you're doing on this journey? Do you know that the sin that entangles you right now can take you out and make you ineffective for the people of God and for His glory? Are you going to listen to the right people? Are you going to open sometimes those deaf ears to the voice of God? And finally, have you started the right way? Have you started with a surrendered heart and life to God or or not? Salvation is not complicated. It is about a surrender. Romans 10, 13 says, those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So here's your takeaways today as, as, as I close. I love saying that. I love it when preachers say as they close. That means you need to change your lunch plans. No, I'm kidding there. As we close this, child of God, what is it going to be? Maybe you're one of those that I talked about with the finish, that you're close to... Um, not finishing. Don't do that. We need you, and God has a plan. Maybe you're one that just doesn't know that, hey, you know that sin could take me out, and and you need to get that right. What if you're the one that maybe has a hardened heart and doesn't listen even to the voice of God anymore? What if you're the one that has never started with a surrender? I'm going to ask you just very quietly stand to your feet as the band begins to play and begins to sing the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Myself and Mike and David and some others, John, are going to be here at the front. Folks, what decision do you need to make? Do you need to come and just get on the altar and, and pray a prayer of repentance? Do you need to come to Jesus? Do you know this Jesus? 
we would love to be able to introduce you to Jesus who can make a difference in your life. Lord, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, but we are more than that, surrounded by the presence of God who wants to empower us and help us to finish the race. Lord, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, who went to the cross for us so that we can have life and have it to its fullest. Amen.